Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Jimmy Palumbo Show. That's right. My name is Jimmy Palumbo, and I am the host of the Jimmy Palumbo Show. I try to say my name as much as I can because no one else is saying my name. I might as well say it myself. We do have a special show here, but this is show number 36. And of course, as you well know, scoring at home, show number 36 means we have to correlate it to a number. Now, I could have went with... Steve Balboni, maybe David Cohn. I could have went with Doc Ellis, which makes me laugh. For my dad, I could have had this show number 36, Johnny Mize, uh, played for the Yanks. Jerome Bettis, I could do that, which maybe Rick, I mean, Chris uh, is going to be doing that one. Um, but uh, Nick Johnson, another guy in the Yankees. But you know what I decided to go with? Because this, again, going back to my youth, um, there was a quarterback on the Giants, number 36, Mark Haynes. And he was a first-round draft pick in 1980, and he was a huge part of the Giants. Their, uh, to me, the favorite, my favorite Giant season besides '86 when they won the whole thing was the '81 season. It was LT's first year, and uh, Mark Haynes was part of that defense, and he was a very, very good player. Um, he played with the Giants from '80 80 to '85. Uh, then he played for the Broncos from '86 to '89. Was actually on the Broncos when we won the game. But he played in three Super Bowls with the Broncos, and he played a bunch of playoff games for the uh, Giants. So uh, three uh, Pro Bowls. Um, he had 17 picks overall. So this show is the, for you Giant fans out there, show number 36 is the Mark Haynes Show. Now, Chris, who do you got? We're going to keep it in football, and it's not going to be Jerome Bettis like you had it originally anticipated. Well, he's kind of big. He big? is. He is. But it's going to be Leroy Butler, the inventor of, you know what he what he invented? No. The Lambo Leap. The very first ever Lambo Leap. Was him? Was Leroy Butler. It was yeah. against the Raiders. Reggie White strip sacked. I think it was Jeff Hostetler at the time. Recovered a fumble. As he was falling out of bounds, pitched the ball to Leroy Butler down the sideline, who then and jumped up jumped the into the stands wow. and Lambo Leap was born. Well that's I've been waiting for about What's that a guy's month. name again? Leroy Butler. He's also should be in the Hall of Fame, but that's another conversation. Right. Well so this show is the Leroy Butler Mark Haynes show. Show number thirty six. So this week, um uh, well you know what we'll also get right to it. I have normally we bring in a guest and you know he's maybe not a not a radio guy, but I decided to up my game. And now I had to do this because my producer Chris uh, some, remember I told you Chris sometimes you're one of the best producers in the world and other times you're just not that good so I had to rely on myself now uh, to uh, to say you know what I need to up my game well what I did as the producer was I hired you as the talent liaison for the Jimmy Palumbo that's show. what so you did we, so we both wear multiple hats okay. you are in charge of the talent. so I am the talent liaison as well as the host so what we had to do I said to myself I'm bringing in these guests that have had some actors on but like let's bring in someone who does it better than we both do Okay, and we have here, New Jersey 101.5, Steve Travelese. What's up, buddy? Oh, my God, I'm on the Jimmy Palumbo Show. How lucky to be on the Jimmy Palumbo Show. How did people get a chance I'm to be on the Jimmy Palumbo Show? When here's Jimmy Palumbo. I love this guy because he keeps on up? saying my name. I got to edit in like a clap track over that because <laughs> oh, yeah. that was a beautiful intro. Wasn't right that there. just yeah. beautiful? He, All right. We could do it again, right? So now, so now. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, now, Steve, first of all, I, I Do I get, get to do a 36? Uh, we're gonna, yeah, you could do it. MacArthur Lane. MacArthur Lane? I don't know who that is. MacArthur Lane was a running back for the St. Louis Cardinals, who then goes to Green Bay, 
around uh, in the early 70s, and he teams up with John Brockington okay. to okay. form an incredible backfield. Well, you know what's great about the show, too? Because I feel like a fossil here, but it's always nice when we get another fossil <laughs> that is a little low. He's talking about John Brockington. And stuff. Oh, man, Mars Hayes, yeah, 1981. I I, I, I'll never forget that season. I was 25. Wait, I'd never seen my Giants go to the playoffs. It was a big and deal. remember that? All they had to do in the last game of the, of the season was beat Dallas, and they go in. And, and they Joe, did. Remember? Joe Dinello kicked him into overtime and then kicked it to win it. And then leaving and he, the remember leaving the game? Let's go Jets. Let's go Jets. And he missed like two field goals yep. along the way. And LT just put the team on his back and just kept forcing people to fumble. That uh, was great. And the Dallas had a 6 nothing no, lead. And then in the second half, LT just said, enough of this. And it was LT's rookie year. Right. And Jack was awesome. like, oh, my God. Right, and and the Jets had to beat. Who did the Jets have to beat on this Sunday? Who was it? Green, Green Bay, right? Packers. It was Green Bay. It was great. You've actually told this story a couple. I times, have, I have, because it was a big deal early. And early I will tell you, and, and you appreciate this. My buddy, um, my buddy works for the Giants, and they were cleaning out stuff. Uh, they make the he's in like the media department there in the video world, and he was cleaning out. He goes, "Hey, do you want this?" And it's it's a plaque of the '81 Giants, which says. First season playoffs, blah blah blah, and wow. I was like, dude, I want that. Yes, because I'm like, he's like, why do you want? I was like, because in my mind, that was my team. Now I know they won it five years later, and the Giants were pretty good from like 1981 to 1987. But in my mind, it was that you know your Tom Mullody's the tight end, Tom Mullody you know, the tight end, Mike Freedy, Freedy the receiver, you go, right? Go on with the story. Wasn't there some aspect of a quarterback, like a guy that you knew, a Tony something? Am I wrong here? Uh, the Giants, the Rams, and the Rams. Oh no, uh, uh, Vince Farragamo. Okay, yes, I met Vince Farragamo at a, at a golf outing. Number five, and. Uh, he beat the Giants. The Rams came in one one in that oh, so era. I'm mixing stories. No, no. The Rams came in that, that and they. All I remember is uh, the Rams won twenty eight nothing. I don't think the Giants crossed past the forty yard line. Mm-hmm. And we left with like five minutes to go. It was twenty eight nothing, and we get in the car, and uh, we're all like depressed because we were younger. My brother was driving. He's five years older than me. And we by the time we got. Turn the radio on. It was already in the post game, and all we heard is Jim Gordon. <laughs> this is all he said. Faragamo simply had all day to throw, and they went to a commercial break. I was like, <laughs> so I run into Steve Faragamo, and I look at him. He's a good looking guy, you know. He's retired now. He's an older guy, and I'm like, I was like uh, Vince. I was like, you know, I, I, I was 15 years old. You broke my heart. He's like, what game? And I told him the game, and he could tell he was like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't, I, you know, Jimmy, I don't remember games like fans. Of goes, I remember having a couple of really good games in the metal. <laughs> I was like, oh, you certainly, I, I think he was like, he was one of those games, he was like 20 for 22 with four touchdown bands. <laughs> they ran the ball the rest of the game. But that's my Vince Ferguson. So the 81 team is always a, a, a place for me. But um, That was, I, if, if I could tell you a quick story on that. Sure. Okay, I'm working, well, two things. I'm working WPST. Uh, doing a morning show back then. And now, PST, as you know, is a, a station in uh, Philadelphia. In case no, no, no. They're in Trenton. In, oh, Trenton. Okay. Nine, they're 94.5 now. Back then, they were 97.5. I'm doing the morning show. Giant fan all my life through the 70s. Never saw my team do anything. And now in 81, they're going to the playoffs. So I'm like, I have got to have the quarterback on. I have to have Scott Bruner on my show. <sighs> so I call Scott Brown. I, I get to Scott Bruner, who now lives in Cranberry. He works for a construction company, I think, or whatever. But I get him on. 
and we're setting up the time. And he says, uh, he goes, I, I said, can you do eight o'clock? He goes, no, how about seven thirty? Because I got to leave for work. You know, then I got to leave for work. I'm like, where do you work? He's like. I'm the quarterback of the New York Giants. <laughs> but you would never think, wait, I got to go and practice. practice. I got to I got to leave work. for work. It's like, great. what, do you have a job while you're doing this? <laughs> and then what happens? They they win the game, and the following week, they play the Eagles. Remember that? Uh, and well, they this is 81 now? 81 playoffs. Right. The first time the Giants go to the playoffs, they go to Veterans Stadium. Yep. And oh, the first Leon right, yeah, yeah. the punt returner, they beat the Eagles 45-21. Yep, that was with Rob Carpenter had the game of Rob his life. And Carpenter. next week, we lost to... San Francisco. San Francisco. Because that's just the way it was. Yeah, Joe Montana. Until no, that, those, that 81 team, you know, listen, I was 15, 15, 16 years old. So he just, you know, it's just, it, it's something different. They, there should be a book on that. Like, sport, when you're, when you're in your pre-adulthood uh and your team's doing well or doing shitty you you it, it just it, ha- it holds a it place literally I mean, it's shape, probably, it shapes who you are as it, a person no, it really does it, that's, just, it's like, uh, uh, that's why you know and we're gonna get to the next topic here that'd be great the year uh, your team came alive the title for your book the name yeah. the year your, your team your Packer or fan. the year your team died for me <laughs> right, it changed everything for me for the yankees forward. for the yankees would be 76 because i was 11 years old they hadn't made the playoffs in a long time and the 76-team, they finally made it. That Chris Chambliss hit the home run, put him in the World Series. And I've been really a Yankee. Well, my, my house was, you could not be a Yankee fan. But after that 76 season, I became a Yankee fan. I only really know the Yankees from 76 on. I took four years off because I was so pissed off when they got rid of Reggie. Plus, mm-hmm. I was in college and I was having a good time. So I, sports didn't matter yeah, right, at that right. point. But no, they, they, that's a good idea. A good, it's a good title for when, yeah. when there's always something that triggers it. Sometimes it's an odd thing. Sometimes you hear stories about kids, their grandmother buys them a shirt and it says like Kansas City Chiefs and not knowing what it was. And they next become thing a you know, fan. Become a Chief fan. But all right. So this week now, well, I'm just going to have Steve in on my show, which will be Excuse fun. Me. Because he's been doing radio for forty years, and we're gonna we're gonna get to more about his career in a second. But this week was big for me. First of all, uh, Rutgers big win against Indiana. I think Indiana stinks. However, Rutgers is five and five, two games to go. They got to win one of them to go to a bowl. And even though they're gonna play in the you know Chop Sports Bowl or some other uh, unknown entity bowl for <laughs> Rutgers, it is you know what I hate to say it. It's like it doesn't matter who they hook up with. What the girl looks like. Just <laughs> We're giving away NIL deals to all the losing members <laughs> you, of the bowl game because the winners don't want anything yeah, to do with we, us. We just need, we, you know what? We just need to go on a date. We need to go to a bowl. So we play Penn State this weekend. I don't like the matchup at all. I think Penn State has a very good defense. Our offense is a little shaky. I think we might get, I think we might even get shut out this week. I'm praying it doesn't happen. But the Maryland game, last game of the season, is a noon start, just got announced. And I'm glad for that because that's November 27th, the noon game. And at 7.30, I will be with Steve Travelis and Mike yes. Marino at the Carteret Performing Arts Center at 7.30. Please get your tickets right now. I should have the number. I'll give it out in a second. But um, CatcherRisingStar.com. So CatcherRisingStar.com. Go get your tickets for me, Mike Marino, and Steve Travelis. It's going to be a huge show. Um, but it, it's interesting. I don't. One thing about the Rutgers game, I don't know. I don't get. They put the kid in, the quarterback, Wimsat. With a minute and a half to go, just to run out the clock, that took a game away for his possible redshirt. Yeah, really? So he could only play two more games with potentially three games to go. So he, say Rutgers beats Maryland, 
and he he could use up his eligibility unless there's some kind of additional game rule for the bowl game that I'm not sure of. But I, I wouldn't have put the kid in with a minute to go. Let him play a half. And I think the future is with uh, Wimsat. But um, he, he got one 20-yard run. That was it. Vedral only was 9 for 17 for 97 yards. So um, that's it on my Scarlet Knights. It's uh, They're playing Penn State this weekend. Uh, good luck to the Scarlet Knights. I hope they... Uh, um, Hope they beat Penn State, which would be wonderful. I got to give a big shout out to another NIL person on our uh, on our team here, uh, Madison Palumbo, who Steve doesn't know is my niece, and she's a Division One lacrosse player. But her sister Drew Palumbo just signed on to play at Bloomsburg. It's Division Two, but she is a, a upcoming star of lacrosse, and she just signed to go play for them, which is very exciting. So she was homecoming queen, and she's going to Bloomsburg on a, some kind of scholarship or something. Uh, so that's big shout out to Drewy. I saw her on Saturday. She's adorable and good people. It's my cousin Joey's kid. All right, uh, Giants had a bye week, which means they didn't lose. Uh, and according to Chris, they have a shot at the playoffs because he thinks Seattle still has a shot. Seattle has a shot. The Giants have a shot. They do. I'm not so sure with the Giants. They play the Buccaneers next week. We'll see what happens. Listen, the Cowboys got it done. Can't stand them, but they just blew out the Atlanta Falcons. Eagles got it done, and the Redskins got it done. Not a good day a, for Giant yeah, fans. Great week to be off. <laughs> yeah, the Giants, you know, I think the Saints stink, and uh, but there's a lot of teams that stink. My other NFL note would be um, it's a weird thing, and I, I, I don't know. Listen, I, I'm not a Patriots fan. But I really hate Tom Brady, so I can't stand Tom Brady. And now because Tom Brady rules the world, everybody thinks like the Patriots and Belichick are nothing. In a sick way, I'm actually rooting for Belichick, which you never hear this out of my mouth. Um, and I love the fact that they're like sneaking in the water. And uh, if you're an NFL coach and somehow Patriots make the playoffs and you're watching the last game of the season, all of a sudden, and like, and it'll oh, be... Oh, yeah. It'll be Bills, you know, whatever team playing the Patriots. You're like, oh, my God. I got to play Belichick. There's going to be you know? some good football in yeah. the wintertime. No doubt. Really Cannot interesting wait. matchups. Uh, so the Patriots are not dead at all. Um, the Steelers-Lions game, you know my theory. I've been pushing this. Uh, Steve may not know it. I think so many... I think the NFL... the uh, stinks. I think the games itself stink now. Uh, the penalties, the the, the flag football, it's, it, you can't touch anybody. I also think this, this year seems like there's like 20 or 24 teams that stink. Uh, the Steel, the Steeler-Lions game was unwatchable. Oh my um, God. And yeah, it was awful. And, um, you know, uh, it just... It was it was like bad football, but I guess you know over time then you tie. I think there should be no ties. You should go to a second overtime. I have a question though, because if it was like fifty six, fifty one, you'd be like, this is terrible. And then if it's no, I don't mind the low story, but it terrible. was what it was bad football though. It was oh, bad. the way it ended. You know, yeah, the, the horrific way it ended with the fumble, and that's it, the way the Lions. You know, it's tied bad. Uh, I agree. The the missed the botched field goal attempt. Just in general, that game everything that could possibly happen in that game. But and you know what? Do you want to see another quarter of bad football after just watching a bad? You know what I mean? It was when just, the game is that uh, bad, it it's almost a, punishment to make them play. I know. For the I know that Packer fans weren't able to watch the game 
because that game went into overtime. A lot of oh, local Packer fans, right. because the Minnesota game yeah, was still yeah, on, sure. so they were like, I just on Packer Twitter seeing it. And it happened to me the week before with an overtime game. I forget which one it was, but when the Packers, I hate that. So one of right. the guys, Najee Harris, didn't even know that there was overtime yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, Much on. like Donovan McNabb did, I yeah. guess it was like 10 years ago, when he's like, oh, I wait, covered that. you could tie? <laughs> it's just Duh. I don't think there should be ties. That's another argument. Um, that leads us to the Jets. Uh, look, um, uh, the Jets, the man, football is lousy in this area, man. So at the least Giants the Jets, Jets you're right off the Jets because there's really no point in this. There's nothing really. I got yeah. no, the Jets are just a, they're just they're just. What's the word I'm looking for? They're troubled. Right the Jets now. troubled. The yes. Jets have out of their their entire roster, I'd say four out of their top six players in terms of performance this year are all rookies. So there is some promise they're, there. They're, they're young. They have they're some young, young talent. Young team. Young coaching staff. I should. But right now, the. Uh, Team Jets is uh, is grounded. Team um, Jets, not my Knicks. Uh, you know what? Listen, you have to put the Knicks in perspective here. Now, I'm a huge Knicks fan. The Knicks, uh, they they went away for 20 years. Um, they were banished from the NBA for 20 years. Right. They won like seven games a year, and they finally started playing good last year. And I was just so excited to be. I was happy to be on the date. I didn't care again what she looked like, where we were. I was thrilled to death. And now, now we're on the second date, which is season two. And they started out five and one, but I knew I was like, they're just not that good. They're the Knicks, but they're the Knicks. And all of a sudden, now they're seven and six. And I don't know. I think the big thing is Randall kind of ran the show last year, and all of a sudden they brought in Kemba Walker and this Fournier guy. And bro, if you I, look at what they're doing this year compared to last year, they're almost double the amount of three-point shot attempts this year. Like right, they're shooting the ball too much. They're, I know they took away from what they were doing well I, and what they did. I think they're going to revamp that. Uh, I still have faith in Thibodeau. He's a I defensive he's a guy, coach. Thibodeau. He's a rebound. Yeah, he's not that. But type I think of there coach. might be a Randall Kemba thing that's not working right. Well, uh, just a Kemba Kemba thing. If you look at throughout his career, everywhere he's gone, yeah. It's kind of been the same thing. He hasn't really had any success, including right. Boston. He didn't when when he was on the court in Boston. They weren't they weren't good. Same right. thing with Kyrie. I well, Thibodeau's got to tell him. Listen, you got to distribute the ball. Otherwise, I'm going to put you no. Know, when you have Eric a point Rose guard that's a shoot first point guard on a team like that, it just doesn't. I didn't understand why they brought Kemba in to begin right. with. And now we're so starting Boston to see sends their whack jobs to New York. Yeah, right? Kyrie, you go to the Nets. You go to the Knicks. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, listen, I, but you know what, the Knicks. It's, it's hopefully they'll make the playoffs, and I'll be. I'm thrilled to death that Knicks are. I'm even talking about them. This was three years ago. I wouldn't even be talking about it. Um, I had a crazy week. Also, uh, I took Artie Lang to the dentist on Wednesday. We drove into the city, which his mother asked me to drive him in, which is pretty funny. I said, "Yeah, I could do it," and uh, it was fun to drive in with him and like looking at some of the uh, restaurants and bars we used to perform at doing live on tape 100 years ago. So we were able to have a lot of fun with that. And I literally just took him to the dentist. He went in. He got done with the 10 minutes in there, whatever they did, and came back out. I drove him home. It was like, no, it was just, <laughs> but it was fun to be in a car with him because when I started out with Artie, that's how uh -huh. we, we met on a, like a little a shoot between a friend of ours and Clark. And uh, I said to him, hey, you know, uh, I'm getting into this acting thing. He's like, yeah, me too. And I was like, well, you live in Union. I'll pick you up. We'll drive in. So me and Artie drove into all these backstage auditions in my shitty 89 Honda Civic, which wasn't that shitty. I kept it for 12 years. But at the time, it was not that bad. Right. And um, I, we drove in, and we were full of piss and vinegar, youthful. We didn't know. There's something to be said for any kind of showbiz thing or even sports. 
when you don't know who Tom Brady is, and you don't know who Aaron Rodgers is, and you don't know who Jerry Sign, you don't know anything, all you do is go on the field and play, you don't know you suck. So in other words, we didn't Good know point. any we didn't know yeah. anything about showbiz. Uh, just like I don't know anything about podcasting, but like I'm in showbiz, so now I kind of know if a show is lousy. But back then, with already we didn't know that auditioning on on 138th Street for an NYU film on video was a bad gig. We were like, somebody wants us to audition exactly. for something. It was like the greatest thing ever. And I think if you could give, if there's something that I could give to the youth of America, <laughs> showbiz people, it's like. You're not Howard Stern. You're not Tom Brady. But you are who you are at the time. In the beginning, there's no bad gig. It's it, 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 it it what it is. It's yeah. a craft. But, but some people get caught up like, oh, I got this little audition. Or when they're talking to me sometimes, I'll be I'll be mentoring some young kids like, well, you know, Jimmy, I, I'm not like you. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're 18. When I was 18, I was going to Rutgers. I wasn't even acting. I always say you are what your resume says you are at the time. If you only have the Jimmy Palumbo podcast, that's what you do. That's right there now. There are some people that that probably, depending on who they're talking to, will either play up or downplay what their right. situation is. If they're talking to you, they don't want to go and be like, "I got this huge audition at Rutgers." Right. I know, but for, for I always say, for it, you know, uh, but it, it's it, but we were just so and anyway, going back to just driving to the, the city. <laughs> you should have made that the podcast, uh, like Tuesday with Audie, <laughs> driving Mister Roddy. I could driving Mister Roddy. <laughs> Uh, but it was fun to see him and hop in, uh, and he's doing okay. He's getting better. Hopefully, uh, I know his new podcast dropped yesterday. Sounds really good. He's got episodes. I heard him with he's got four now, so uh, Artie's coming back, which is always nice. And I hope he's doing stand-up sometime soon. Um, other thing is, I am in the middle of major rehearsal for the performance of The Nutcracker at the King Center in Mawa, New Jersey, but it's taking place over in um, uh, Hackensack, uh, my daughter's a dancer. She's uh -huh. 12 years old, and I'm playing one of the dads. And that's why I can't go to the Rutgers Penn State game, but I'm thrilled to be dancing with my daughter. We even have a little number. We got to do a little dance. It's adorable. How about that? But you know what? The, the rehearsals are intense. You know, the, the main lady, uh, Nancy, is like yelling at, not yelling at the kids, but like, I've been in plays. She's barking. We're getting close. You know, games, and I, I used to tell, I tell Natalie, you know, there's rehearsals, and then you get into this tech week, and then what happens is it gets more intense. It's just like any sport. Like, the first day of practice, you kind of, next thing you know, it gets towards game day. Coach gets a little bit more like, hey, you know, game's on now. And we rehearsed for like three and a half hours yesterday. And even now I'm thinking, oh, man, they're looking at me like I'm this actor. I can't screw up. <laughs> but I'm a little confused about some stuff, so I can't wait to get on the rehearsal stage at in Hackensack so I know – more spatial spatiality of where I am and what I have to do, but spatial it's spatial awareness. It's called. Yeah. Well, see, see, uh, see, Steve. This is just hang on a second, yes. Steve. Again, my producer Chris over there. Um, <laughs> he, uh, you know, sometimes he just likes to mock me. The way it's the tone that you said that, and I'm waiting to mock something, but I'm, I'm I think that you're avoiding it. Are we avoiding the the way in today? Okay. See again, again. Occasionally, my producer is very good. So what he was, he was shitty on the comment about spatial uh, awareness. Right. But we decided. My sister called me up. Now I'm I'm briefing Steve on this because he doesn't know. He didn't get a chance to listen to the podcast last week, and I don't blame him. My sister, <laughs> had I know, I would have. My sister decided that I'm a fat fuck. So you, she yeah. said to me, Jimmy, why don't you announce um, on the air what your weight is? 
And then every Monday, you now now you're holding accountable to your audience. Is that and the seven oh six on your helmet? Seven, <laughs> your hat? See, just, everybody's calling me a fat bastard. No, that's my batting average oh. in beer league, Johnny Trino. That's sacred, sacred oh, okay. ground. But um, the uh, well, you don't have to, that's why that's why I'm branding it. Now, last week I was two eighteen. It's not bad. What was I? What did we say we were? I was. I got it in here. Two eighteen point four. But he's only five two. Okay. That's so, so that's, okay. that's bad. But this week I wait, and the rule is I wake up in the morning. Right. I do take uh, you know take a pee, yeah. and then I get right on the scale in the bathroom. And this week I was two fifteen, so I lost three point four pounds. Wait till you take a dump and then get on the scale. Uh, so well, I, even this less. was before my ablution. Those of you scoring at home, you don't think I can go there. So now I lost three pounds. Right. So. My biggest fear is I died. And I definitely was aware of it, so I didn't have no, you know, Schwedels. I, I laid off a lot of the good food this week. The holidays but I, are coming. Yeah. I did eat. Know, it's rough. I will admit I had some Reese's peanut butter cups, which I didn't oh, want to, but yeah. it's still sitting in the, in, the, in the freezer, so they're cold. It's good oh. stuff. Uh, and I had some wine, but I ate I ate a lot of salads. Um, but I did have. I, I didn't go to any fast food, but I didn't really. Uh, I, I walked a little bit one day. I walked like three miles. But I think I'm going to have trouble. I don't think I'm going to lose three pounds right now. No, no, no. I got no, the no. baby with the nutcracker. I'll sweat it, sweat it off, though. So that's my new thing. So, yes, thank you for reminding me that, Chris. That's how good of a producer you are. And, uh, and how much do you weigh? I'm down, too, bro. And I'm not really trying to necessarily lose weight. I'm just trying to look better. But I've been stag for a while, like stagnant. Haven't done anything since we started Shop Sports. But I was 184 last week. I'm 179. I don't think I'll get back above 180 uh. because what you did was – you, you your metabolism quicker me. I know you were going to come up, but look, you're you were fatter than me going into the start of this. Just right? love saying that, don't right? you? More, more fat, fatter. I'm going to use it. it in a bunch of different ways. My headphones you, dropped out. Could you say that again? Yeah, he, was, he was a lot fatter than me going into this, <laughs> and what ends up happening here is I end up losing more weight than him, even though I'm lighter than him. So. I'm really lapping him already, and it's only one week in. So you got some catching up to do, bro. See that? I see, again, so now you went from being a horrific producer to being a good producer back to being a horrific producer. And the problem is that um, I can't fire you because um, I can't because you own the place. There's that. <laughs> well, that's why that was the theory. Hire an owner. As he is producer. the chop of chop sports. Um, so, yeah, so I'm in the middle of Nutcracker, my weight thing. You know what was saying at rehearsal? There's a bunch of dance moms there who are in the show because they got to play the, the the moms. Are they like the like the lifetime dance moms? The ones who really take it serious. My so believe it or not, daughters dance. Believe it or not, Rutgers and it's nuts. Well, there's dance moms involved with this group, right? But they're not the ones who are doing the show. Truly, they're the they, ones. These who girls live are fun. Uh, some of them, <laughs> some of them go to uh, uh, even get a couple of margaritas before rehearsal, which I probably will do that next week. <laughs> but. Um, uh, it's funny because I started to, I realized, you know, I got to start like this. I'm doing this big show at Carteret with Steve here and Mike Marino. And um, I realized that like I started selling the show. So there I am in rehearsal. I'm doing a show in Carteret. You guys want to go? But some woman ordered two tickets. He goes, I'm definitely going to go there see it. Go. So there I am. It's like pathetic. I'm hawking tickets to moms that are involved with dance. So I got a kick out of that. I had another uh, uh, really exciting thing happen to me. And I'm sure... I'm going to put Steve and Chris on the spot and see this ever happen to them. So, I, you know, when you go from summer clothes to spring clothes, you got to move things around a little bit. Right. 
And uh, so I realized that you know what, some of my some of my winter clothes that I'm going to bring in are a little long in a tooth. And I just bought uh, my sister was kind enough to go shop with me. We bought a bunch of new like winter winter stuff. And she's like, Jimmy, throw out, get, donate the clothes that are that are have seen their time, you know. So of course I waited six weeks to do it. The clothes are sitting all over my apartment. So I finally do it. I'm going through. And then of course you, you're clinging. Oh, I like that shirt. This shirt fits me well. I'm doing all that stuff. So I really said, Jimmy. You haven't worn it in a while, and it looks, you know, donated. My rule is this, ready? If you go through two or three times doing your laundry and you still haven't worn something, you're never going to wear it what, again. There's a lot to that. There's actually a lot of, like, those shows. Anyway, so I realized that I have a couple of sport jackets that I use that are kind of beat up, but I use them for auditioning when you got to play a detective, and it'll say, I've been there, done that detective who's, like, a little bit, he's not, like, you know, uh, sharp looking. And I wear this, like, brown uh, sport jacket that looks like, you know, I'm a jerk-off. Joe Maddox. Uh, yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> Exactly right. So, um, Jim Rockford. <laughs> there you go. And so I have a few of those. But then I discovered I had this like olive green suit that I used to really love. But those, it kind of has an early '90s feel, I guess, to it. Like that. Uh, they don't even matter. In fact, I love the colors. It looks good on me too. The coloring. Uh, and I looked. I, first thing I did is I put I put the pants on. The pants don't fit anymore. I'm like, well, this is, it's over. Right. So, and but I was. It's, I looked a month ago, no, three months ago, when I went to go buy a suit. They don't even sell this color suit anymore, so it's probably out of style. So I'm, now I realize we can just go through the pockets. First thing I see is a, a mask card. I probably got a mask card on a wig shoved in my pocket. I'm laughing over that. I don't want to say who it is, but it's a friend of mine's brother. And um, then all of a sudden, man, on the pants pocket, I feel something. I said, oh, maybe it's another mask card. I might have went to two funerals with this, right? I pull it out, and I kid you not, six crisp $100 bills. $600 in the back of a suit. I've been looking for that. Yeah, I know, right? Now, now wait a minute. For a really long time. Okay, but I haven't, it looks like the mask card was from 2017. So I'm guessing I haven't worn this suit in four years. Right. And then I said to myself, did I cash a check, run into a wake, took the cash, shoved it in my pocket, forgot Forgot about about it, but like, it's got to be honest with you. Who forgets about $600? That's what I said. That's that's happened to me a few times where I was like, you forgot about $600? What is going on in my life? It was more, actually, but it was... I was bartending a lot and making cash. And it was one of those times we talked about it. Like if I'm bartending, I, I won't even count the money that I made sometimes because I would be working early the next day. Right. Must have just happened like that. But I was like, what's going on in my life where I could lose that much money and, and not, not notice it? Well, that's yeah. what, but here's the weird thing. I'm, not, I'm wearing, trust me, I'm broke. Now, if it so was, like, <laughs> if it was a pair of jeans, I would say, okay, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I'm wearing a suit. So I, and I'm telling you right now, I used to wear a suit all the time and I wear corporate, but in the last 25 years, I wear a suit at wakes, funerals, and auditions when I have to play a cop, a detective, or something like that. And I'm thinking to myself... Maybe a wedding? I wouldn't have worn this suit. Mm. I have I have a really, I have two very, very nice suits. I wouldn't have worn this suit to a wedding. And then I'm thinking, did I wear it for an audition? And then maybe drive to see my mother, and my mother sometimes will shove a twenty dollar bill in my pocket to bust my chops or something like that. Did she take the money and kind of come behind me and stick it in my back pocket? Take it, just take it. And I just forgot she did it. Got in the car, you know, you're sitting on it. You that don't could be it. it. All your life, your mother's been putting money aside for you, That's and it. this was her way of giving it to you. But have you ever found money? Yeah, like you know that? what I do? Sometimes, like, what I'll do is, like, when, when I've got a lot of cash around, I'll leave change in the pockets and just forget about it. So that this way, if you get to a point where I need some cash, 
And then you start you rummaging. Digging. Yeah, you start rummaging through the clothes, and oh, okay, I put together a nice little bankroll for the wallet. So it's it's kind of like a savings account. It's like you know, hey, I got a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars. I had too there. many siblings to do what, any of that in my house. What, oh, they'd rob you blind because right? I would. But what's what, what's the most money you've ever found in a pocket or on the street or, or land? What Ooh. would you say? I can't be six hundred. It's like amazing. No, that's I have a big you. Deal. I have you. I I dominate that number in terms of found money. I found a lot of money one Okay, time. now, I'm going to... It was like seven grand. Where'd Did you, you try that? to find the owner? Yeah, I know what ended up happening. It was a it was a weird situation. I mean, we could talk about it. I guess we'll talk about it. But my cousin was um, a super of a building, right? The right. woman that lived in their house passed away. Um, they kept the money there for six... They, they, nobody got in. He would go in and clean out the apartments. When he took the money out, there was no next of kin. There was no nothing. There was nobody came to claim any of the stuff. And then what happened with the money, we'll talk about off the air. Okay. Nice. Okay. Well, so. All right. But that's more of, uh, well, I'm talking about a pure. Like, uh, just well, I, I will tell you this. money, just close. <laughs> I will tell you this, though. I'm going to bring just, I'm just going to bring, everybody knows I am a Catholic. And I'm just going to bring a little religion into this. Okay. So I tell my mother that I found the $600, right? And I say, you know what, Ma? I'm going to take a hundred dollars and this, when I go to mass this week, I'm going to put a hundred dollars in the, in the, in the, in the thing. And my, my mother and sister went, no, no, keep the right, right away. <laughs> so I go to church uh, Friday at five o'clock. So you put in a 20. No, I thought about it. I, 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 <laughs> Scotch I gra- tape on the hands. I grabbed the 20 first. I said, I'll give him 20. Right. Which is even that I don't put $20 in. I haven't, I haven't deducted every week. Um, so I took the $20 out and I sat there for a second. I just said, you know what? I stumbled on this $600, came out of nowhere. I'm going to, I put the 20 back in, took out a $100 bill and I put it in, in the basket. And I felt good and about it. You got it. caught taking the 20 out. <laughs> no. Like, no, 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 no. It's better. <laughs> That's hey, a curb your enthusiasm yeah. uh, Social media, right there. Twitter. Okay. <laughs> it's better. I didn't check my mail in the morning, uh, Saturdays. I left early. So I come, I get, by the time I get home, it's like 7.30 at night, 6 o'clock at night. I go to my mailbox, right? I go into the mailbox. I get a residual check for a lot of money from a gig out of nowhere. I'm saying like, what? this was like, this was like finding money in the street. That's God. And I said to myself, you know what? God said to me, yeah. we discussed this. Donate it. No, no, I'm not going to be religious. Right. I'm just saying. No, no I don't care. I, I, I gave the $100 back to God. I went to my mailbox right after Mass, and there was a check, uh, a pretty hefty check. I'm going to say check. this only because I bring this element to everything that I'm doing. Now, I want to know do you think that the, the mail didn't get mailed the week before? Like, all this was already in motion Correct. before that $100 was given. So, like, if you didn't give the $100 at church, or the fact that you did, didn't just magically. Make that mail appear you, in your mailbox. How do you know? Maybe God knew. God's all knowing. Yeah. It's like it's like you think you're all knowing with with podcasting and you don't know anything. Yeah. God knows everything. Now Steve Travelese knows everything because he's been doing radio. Well, it says in the Bible, you give ten percent of your earnings yeah. to God. He rewards you like yeah, t- tithing. Tithing. And they give you so much more. You know, myself and Gooch are both getting a little older. One of the first things to go is your vision. Thank goodness for our hookup over at Absolute Eyewear in Woodbridge, New Jersey, right on Main Street next to the train station. They have glasses for all ages, all budgets. They have safety glasses, sports glasses. They are a full-service powerhouse offering eye exams and even free lenses for the kids. They work with BCBS, AAA, 
AARP, giving massive discounts. They're open five days a week, closed on Wednesdays and Sundays. Call 732-326-3937 to get your first pair of Ray-Ban, Burberry, Coach, Polo, you name it, they got it. Go see Craig and Johnine right now. I'm going to actually turn it over now to Steve because, um, listen, we have Steve Trevelisse here. Now, if you if you live in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey 101.5 is uh, it's an institution. A lot of people listen to it, especially for the traffic and weather, of course, uh, but it's a New Jersey station. I always thought that was a cool thing. It's not, you know, Eyewitness News, which covers New York or the Philly stuff. New Jersey 101.5, and really even, I'm from Central Jersey, I think New Jersey 101.5 is to me, even very heavy Central Jersey. If there's something going on I'm in huge. Colonia, New Jersey 101.5 is there. They know about it. And Steve Trevelisse is uh, not only, you've been doing radio for 40 years, so I want to start this whole thing. I wanted him in on the show because you, you offer stuff. But, like, tell me how you got started. Like, I mean, that's a, you have a long career in radio. It's awesome. Well, New Jersey 101.5, the way that got started first, it was 1990. They had been uh, kicks 101 and a half playing music. I remember that. They get this idea. Press Broadcasting buys it. They do a survey. From now, were you on? Were you no, on? no, I wasn't on, on it then. Okay. At that time, I was on WYSP doing updates on Howard Stern Show. Uh, I started my career at WPS, or WPST, started in Long Branch after a couple of years, went to PST. Okay. PST was the Jersey radio station back then. Right. Uh, myself, Dave Heffel, Tom Cunningham, Tom Taylor. And that was, we were playing, it was called the best songs and the best albums. We were all rock jocks. Okay. And it was a lot like WPLJ. I get a call one day from uh, WYSP in Philadelphia, would you be interested in coming to Philadelphia? So I went down to Philly, was a rock jock for four years, and then they made me news director. When, they, when Howard came to the radio station, they wanted a local voice in the morning who would be able to come in and do like news, yeah, updates weather, traffic, and stuff, stuff like that. So it'd be like Howard and then local guy. Yeah, Howard take a break. I was the local guy. Okay. I did that for 10 years. And is that the way it's done? A lot of the affiliates uh, he's on back in the day? Back in the day, yeah, exactly. That's, how it was That's done. the okay. way it was done. So what would happen is, like, I would come on. Now, back then, if there was something going on in Philadelphia, I would call him and tell him on the air and stuff. But the cool thing about it was I got paid to listen to the Howard Stern show all day. Wow, okay, that's wild. And I'll never forget. I mean, for me, the greatest moment on the Howard Stern show at the time was he's doing the news. He's got Sam Kinison, Andrew Dice Clay, and Richard Belzer. Wow. And Robin, and they're just riffing on the news. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if you're the competition... What who song are you going to put on? What funny recorded bit are you going right, to do right. to compete with those four? Sure. You know, Dice, Kinnison, and Stern, and Belzer riffing, you know, the news. So it was that. Uh, I left there. I went to Shadow Traffic, where I was program director for a couple of years, in charge okay. of all the announcers and the news people. And then uh, after that, I want... I, now, were you doing the Shadow Traffic, or you were just in charge of it? No, I was doing, I was doing traffic from home. Okay. Uh, I was doing traffic from home and I was in charge of 25 announcers on 36 radio stations. And there was, a, oh, this, I'm sorry, before that I was in an office. Then I left there because I, I got another offer to, from Clear Channel to do it from home on four radio stations in Philadelphia okay. and be part of a morning show. So after a while, that ended in 2002. And I wanted to do, I, I was called by my friend of mine, a friend of mine who became the program director of New Jersey 101.5. Would you like to do this? 
So I never, you know, because it never dawned on me when it was coming up. I'm like, why would I want to go to New Jersey 101.5? I was never going to leave. I'm going to sit here and make all this money. And And then one day. So I do it and I loved it. And now I wanted to talk radio. I go back to my boss, my friend. I want to do this. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. Got to go learn. You got to go cut your teeth. You got to get rough. You got to get tough. You're, You're too likable a guy. So... I go to the program director at WIP because when I was at Shadow, I knew all the program directors. Tom Bigby was the program director, and I said, you know, I want to learn how to do talk radio. And he said, you know, I need someone to help me with updates. Great, you help me, I'll help you. So I started to do sports talk shifts. So I was on WIP, I still am on WIP, but I was on WIP uh, in 2007. I started doing weekend overnights. Okay. And built up a really solid, which I still do the Friday overnight because I just right. love it. And because yeah, overnights are such a, it's an eclectic. I could put music on. I put musical guests. I put sports figures. Right. I have my following, like you do. You know, you know, you guys, and uh, and it really grew. So after ten, after four years of doing that, now I kept applying and applying and applying, and I got hired to New Jersey one hundred one point five in two thousand eleven. Uh, and been there for the last 10 years. Right. And, but 101.5, the way that came about, like I said, in 1990, um, in the 70s when we were kids, people commuted from New York to Philadelphia. I mean, you know, from New York to Jersey, Philadelphia to Jersey. Right. So whatever news they got were the scraps. You know, 25 minutes of New York news, and by the way, in Jersey, somebody held up a yeah, ver- You rarely got... Yeah. Here's the traffic in New York, and by the way, uh, Jersey affect, bike is crowded. In the and, and, and mostly if it affected traffic. Yeah. So if there's a big explosion in New Jersey and 280 shut down, somebody on 280 is trying to get to New York City, so there you go. Exactly. Forget it. So what happened was, press broadcasting buys New Jersey 101.5. They do a survey, and they say, this is what I heard, they, they do a survey, what do you want most from the radio? Traffic and weather. Okay. So we're going to give you 24-7, we're going to give you traffic and weather, uh, weather every 10 minutes, traffic every 15. Wow. And they did that 24 hours a day. And then they decide, now, because you had, at this point, people from the 70s, 80s, and now the 90s are no longer, you know, commuting to New York as much because a lot of that business moved to Jersey. So now instead of this, you got this. Right. But there was never a radio station that said, we're going to completely serve New Jersey. We're going to do nothing but Jersey news, nothing but Jersey traffic, nothing but Jersey weather. And because of the attitude that we've got, and you look at the Jersey attitude, look at the Sopranos, look at, look at Jersey's contribution to the world. We, we, we have, we curse more in Jersey than anywhere else because of attitude. We really do. It's been proven. But the, um, but the idea (laughs) that this, this idea, guilty as charged, not New York, not Philadelphia, Proud to be New Jersey 101.5. Right. Just basically gives the middle finger to everybody. Right. And we've developed, and what happened was the state, you know, and then there were a lot of, lot of um, dump Florio, you know, the things well, were going on. A lot of the politics people wanted to hear. I, I, that's how I, the, 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 when I first started listening, well, I've, I've always been listening, but I really started, they were talking about issues that, you know, it wasn't the mayor of New York City or the governor's race. It was, our governor's race, yeah. or, or even they had mayors on of Atlantic City or whatever. We still do. 
And uh, yeah, they still do. It. it covers your own state. It's really a. We push back against government. We push back against whatever's going on. We keep them honest. There's no other state. There's no New York 1015. There's no Arizona 1015. It's only us. And it's the anti-establishment. Yeah. Well, it's also radio. if you're I, if you talk about anything. Yeah. Like I'll do an right. hour on politics. I do an hour well, on that, comedy. I do an hour on that, that's what football, I'm fat. First whatever. of all, you just said comedy. I'm I'm, I'm fascinated because I've always, and Chris knows when I wanted to do this podcast, in podcasting, you know, you got to have a niche. Got to have a niche. Some people are like, oh, do do a podcast on screwdrivers, and that way Home Depot can sponsor you because you're only talking about screwdrivers. And I'm like, yeah, but I I I I always I think I know a little bit about a lot of things. But that's you know the thing. I mean? You and I are love the, the niche. fact. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm, I said, you know it's what? Harder, I'm the show. It, he's the only just, guy just who to, does Jimmy Palumbo. But to the to the point though is like when to to do that type of show, and we've talked about this at length. You need to be like huge, huge star. Not to necessarily do like just to be unless you so you build it. Unless you're doing, willing, unless you're willing, it. unless you're willing, right. and I say this to Jimmy all the time, and he's he's willing, but there's there's a little bit of pushback on his end because obviously you're putting in the work. You want to see the fruits of your labor, but. You have to be willing to really, really go hard for a year and a half, two years before you can even reassess things. Sure, right? but here's the thing: if you're, how did I'll give you Howard Stern as a perfect example. Howard Stern started with nothing, started very small, grew to be big by doing what? Talking about himself. Now, if you if you want to marry that to your thought, right? If you want to say, okay, Jimmy Palumbo, I want to hear what Jimmy Palumbo has to say because he's such a cool guy and I, I buy into him as a person. He's my best friend. And that's the secret to radio when you're listening to your best friend. Now, if Jimmy Palumbo wants to talk about a certain I love thing, that you're just saying my name. By and the way. he, by the way, I can't say it enough. When Jimmy Palumbo <laughs> wants to talk about the Giants, uh, let's take about all the people that do podcasts on the Giants. Who do you believe? Do you believe Paul Dottino? Do you believe Bob Papa? Do you believe and, Jimmy Palumbo? But you have your guy. I agree with what you're saying, but the problem is now is it's so flooded, and radio is different, whereas like you get turned on the radio, you get that spot, that's the spot. Podcasting, it's a little bit different in the sense that it's flooded with a lot of, a lot. Well, it's more about your brand, though, exactly. and that's the thing. So what you have to do in podcast, and, and you know, from what I've seen, in podcasting is the same thing. Why am I listening to Joe Rogan? Why am I listening to Mark Marin? Why am I Adam Carolla has been on my show a number of times. And he said, you know, I was I was a radio guy who needed work. You know, how did you get started? I was a radio I had you know, he was the West Coast Howard Stern replacement. And then when they you know they took care of they blew the whole thing up for lack of a better word, um, Adam started podcasting and had his, his audience. His company is crazy. But, yeah. but he was run like a radio company. But again, if when you get a Jimmy Palumbo who's got so much to offer that he could talk about, he could talk about <laughs> television, movies, Jimmy Palumbo You're being sports. too kind. <laughs> Jimmy Palumbo, uh, pick a show. Jimmy's been on it. You know, and, and it was embarrassing when I said, so Jimmy, what are you doing? I look at his resume. Holy crap. Well, I did his show, uh, was it when? when we go, Thursday when? night. Thursday night. Um, and I remember I had done the show once before for Beer League uh, when Carton was still like Carton and who's the other guy? Carton and Rossi. Yeah. Um, now he's with Boomer. And I, uh, yeah, so I drove. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. He's with Roberts now, right? He's in the afternoons. Right. Uh, I, um, I drove all the way down there. I remember it being in the middle of nowhere. And then I'm driving down still there. Still is. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, you, 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 I've listened to you uh, tons. And all of a sudden, like... It was great to be able to, because in the last year, I have an issue with my radio in my car. I put one of those camera ones in, and for some reason, my FM radio, I have CarPlay, 
But my FM radio and AM radio is bad, so I have to listen to stuff on apps now through my phone. That's and the future. So as I'm driving down, I'm like, I oh, mean, I can listen to the show through my phone somehow. This thing came up, app, and it went right into CarPlay, New Jersey 101.5. I'm like, yes. And all of a sudden, I'm listening to you as I was driving down. You did your first hour. And I'm like, oh, I, 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 this is the guy I'm doing the show with. I've been listening to this guy for years. You know what I mean? So I really got a charge out of it. Knowing full well, I'm like, I don't think, I think I met you somewhere. I was thinking I want a comedy event or something like that. Um, so it was really fun to do your show. It was a piss. We had a few laughs with the uh, uh, name that song kind of thing. Yeah, you we, do, doing, we cool. do an opening lines thing on the weekend. But you know what? What's great about like to take both our arguments and put them together because it's podcasting and it's unlimited and you're not forced. So you only have so many slots to fill. You could have both. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You could have a Jimmy Palumbo podcast where we talk about Jimmy Palumbo, nothing but Jimmy Palumbo. Did I say Jimmy Palumbo enough? Or we, and we have Jimmy Palumbo on the different issues. But, you know, well, that's what I like about because you got so much expertise about so many things in your life that you can offer. Well, I, I, I always wanted to do, because I used to listen the old days to WOR, the overnights, and some of the overnights on talk radio in the seventh of days when I was a little kid, I had trouble falling asleep. I put the radio on. And you, uh, 77 and 710 would have these uh, hosts that would do, I'm talking about like 1 o'clock in the morning, and they would be, and I didn't support this before WFAN, so it wasn't Sports Talk Radio. I always say this, they'd have a guy, Joey Reynolds show. Joey. And the crazy thing was, he'd have like Frank Sinatra would call in, okay? And then the next night would be like the guy who's in charge of like cleaning out the subway systems. And I would be equally as fascinated by both. And I said to myself, I want to do, and but Garden Variety went kind of went out of style. You had to be hard sports. You had to be, you know, uh, right news, left news. I'm like, no, I just want to talk about, if I went to Ikea yesterday, I want to talk about it. So it always That's interests us. me. And uh, you guys do that very well, and yeah. you do it really well. Um, another thing I want to bring up before we're, you know, completely talking about Steve Travelis's world, you also are a stand-up. Now, tell me a little bit about that. How long have you been doing stand-up, or was radio part of your stand-up, or was stand-up first? I was doing the uh, a station in Philadelphia called Alice 104.5. It's 2000, and that was part of the morning show. We had uh, Miss Pennsylvania was coming in, Melissa Jacob. And we're thinking, like, what funny bit are we going to do with Miss Pennsylvania, you know? So we're thinking, all right, we'll, we'll audition for Miss Pennsylvania. We'll do our own beauty contest. So we did, like, a swimsuit competition. We put on bathing suits and shit. For the stand-up uh, part, I mean, for the talent portion of the show, we said, uh, you know, my, my talent, my, my, uh, st my talent show was stand-up comedy. So I did two minutes of stand-up. Goes off well. Program director brings me in and he says, listen, you know, that was pretty good. Uh, how would you feel like if we sold that? And then every Friday you could do the comedy stylings of Steve Trevelis. And I just kind of did it like a Johnny Carson monologue. Right, right, right. So, all right. So then the consultant, uh, was a guy named Dennis Clark who consulted uh, Elvis and Elliot at the time and Elvis Duran. And he said, you know, it would really help if you could take that to the clubs. Now, back when Howard Stern first came to Philadelphia, uh, the program director is a guy named Andy Bloom, and he decided what we needed to, was to have a comedy presence, because now you remember 1986, you were probably just born, that they had, uh, you know, the comedy boom. Was, right. you know, I would go into the comedy works, and there'd be a line up the block. I had to go up the service entrance. Well, to that's why I, I tell people that I got hindered. I, not hindered. I came a little bit late. I started comedy uh, in, like, 91, and I talked to older comedians 
the biggest problem when I started to do comedy was stage time. Couldn't get it. And some of the comedians, especially up in Boston, I'm friendly with, goes, Jimmy, I remember like on a Monday night or Tuesday night, you could go and start at 7 o'clock at night and go to like a pizza hut. They had comedy. There'd be 200 people in the room. And then at 9 o'clock, you can go to Johnny's Bar and Grill and they had a microphone in the back and they had 200. So you could do five or six sets in a night and not open mics. The people the line out the door. And so some of them, I forget the number. He's like, Jimmy, I, I, I was awful, but I did 370 sets in a year. Like, and I'm thinking, yeah. my God, I, I'm lucky if I get on stage once every three weeks. There's no venue for it. So I always, I'm always yeah, saying, I miss so much you could practice in the mirror when you're exactly right. And you need funny. it's an audience. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, you have to feed uh, off. It's an art of you speak, audience reacts, and then you comment back. It's a dance. It's a, it's a back and forth. So back in 86, they make a deal with the Comedy Works on 2nd and Chestnut in Philadelphia. And the great, I was a radio guy. So the idea was that we would, they would, we would go in and introduce one of the comics. If you got there at 9, you brought on the MC. If you got there at 9.15, you brought on the feature. If you got there at 9.45, you brought on the headliner. So you could be late and not have to worry. So I started doing it. It was like a date night because they would comp me, my date, you know, the, the food and all that. Then I started really getting into the comics and just going upstairs. I brought Bill Hicks on one night. He had oh. 104 fever. It was amazing. Carol Leifer was there. Sure. Uh, Rick Scotty, who's now Julia Scotty. It was so many different people. But, uh, but I, had, I had the, the chops because I had an old DJ company. I was used to being on a microphone. So it was no problem there. And I wasn't, Stepping on comic territory, just bringing the guy on. Right. Plus, but you were I, on the radio and comics. That helped get a kick out of that. And I knew, and we would take these. We would take the headliner set, and at one o'clock in the morning, Friday into Saturday, we would broadcast ninety four WISP live at the Comedy Works. We oh, did wow. an album with it. Uh, Rich Scheidner was one of the guys. So, um, when so, that, it came so to you just got thrusted into that stand up world. Kind of. And when it came to 2000 and the, the consultant says, it would be nice if you could go into the clubs with this. And I'm thinking, well, I know Jimmy Little. I know Andy Scarpati. I know all the comedy clubs that I had, you know, as the radio guy brought Funny Bone, brought people on. Right. So I called them all up and said, listen, I got a morning show. And uh, I can mention you if you, uh, you know, there you go. You put me in your club <laughs> and I'll promote it. Quote pros. Great, yeah, yeah, great, great, yeah, great way to get into comedy. And I just, I just kept doing it. In 2004, Kevin Kearney was the national book of a Catch a Rising Star, and he offered me the house MC spot in Princeton. So now I'm doing comedy, you know, five nights a week. I'm doing him. I'm, I'm you're, at, you're at the Princeton one five nights a week? I was I, there. I did, a show, I did a show with Marino there 15 years ago. I was there from 04 to 09. Oh, wow. And, uh, but that was cool because... You're getting 250 shows. No, that's so you're getting the stage time. See, I never got, you know, my stage, I, I did a lot of stage with Sketch, but um, I uh, what ruined me was I ended up going out to L.A. This my Sketch group live on tape. We had a deal with NBC. I made a lot of money, and uh, a lot of money for me. And um, I ended up uh, in L.A., and I figured, okay, I'm, I'm, let me hit the ground running in L.A. I had some New York resume. You know, I'd done a bunch of Law & Orders and Spin City and all that stuff. So I thought in my mind, like, Scott, do some open mics and, and you know, uh, start kicking ass in L.A., which was, was, was a good attitude. Problem is, I, I didn't do it right, and I didn't know, so it was, it was, I just didn't know. I was doing these open mics, which I thought would be better for my craft, but in terms of my personality, it was a horrible thing for me to do because what happened to me was, and I'm probably going to have comedians rip me on this, but I don't care. This is just my story, and I'm just going to tell it. 
I'm the kind of guy where I don't, <coughs> excuse me, I'm the kind of guy where I, I don't act differently on stage than I do in, in my real life. And so I go up to these coffee houses in North Hollywood and Hermosa and all these places. And sometimes it would only be like six people having coffee, reading a book. And they'd have this open mic thing. And it would be like nine comics in the crowd. They're all looking at their notes I going over that. their set. I've never and I went that. up there, hey, everybody, I'm Jimmy Plumbo. What's going on? And I would do my bits and get no reaction. Now, thank God I taped a lot of these sets on my uh, micro cassette. And what would happen <laughs> was I, was, I, was, yeah, I wasn't smart enough to say, I would walk out of there going like, oh, my God, what, what a bad show. And I wasn't any good. And some of the other comedians oh, weren't good. just knowing... You the way I know you now, it, that's it, terrible for so you. So I didn't realize you it, and then need the feedback. Yeah. One of the shows I did, um, uh, one the first time. Uh, now I, I had built up like seven minutes. Right, everybody says build up a seven minutes, and then I got different people said nail your seven minutes first. That was what someone told me. So I would stick to the same seven minutes, right? And then after a while, I realized well maybe that bit doesn't work that good. On so I I got up to like eleven bits, then twelve bits, but I was only allowed to do seven of them. And what would happen was I ended up realizing that, wow, I actually do have 25 minutes worth of material if I had to. But I went on a show with Mike Marino, who will always be a, you know, a close part of my heart. We went out to Corona, California. And he's like, can you middle? Can you do 25 minutes? I was like, yeah. Meanwhile, I was like, okay. I put a little <laughs> I cheat sheet. I put a, I put a sheet, cheat sheet together, and I wrote every bit I've ever done at these shitty open mics. And I went up there, and then I, but a wild thing happened. This was in the back of a Mexican restaurant. There was probably only 100 people there, but it was packed in. It was like the room only held 100. And, of course, Mike's always fantastic. And uh, they had a little ho a host guy who kind of did about three or four minutes, and they brought me up. But the, I noticed, I felt it right away. The audience was there to laugh at comedy. There were people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and they were having margaritas. You were at a cafe where people were trying to do homework or do in homework. one corner, and then and paying yeah. attention. They and ever since stuff. then, I, I, I did, I have to have that on tape as well. I did, I did well, and I felt good about it. And then I realized, wow, Jimmy, I, I can do this. I did. But then I would try to hone it at these other places, and I couldn't get in. You couldn't get in at the improv. I did a show at the improv in L.A., and I'll never forget it because it was like an open mic thing, but they had a crowd, and it wasn't just comics. Then. It must have been doing giveaway night or something like that. And there was maybe 50 comics on the bill. And I sat and watched everybody, watched everybody, and I... I went up, and I only had four minutes to do. And I went up there, and I did well. And I'm like, okay, this is the improv now. Mm -hmm. Now, it isn't Friday and Saturday night. Right. I get it. But I, right. did, I never did shitty when there was a regular speaking audience. Now, that's my feeling of it. But that gave me I confidence saying, you know what? I can hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. I just did. But I'd end up going back the next night to some shitty steakhouse in Orange County an hour away. And it would be like half nobody there. And comics looking the at their mic. notepad. Then you have to deal with the snickering of comics. And I started to think, like, this whole comedy world is awful. You know what I mean? Um, no, you, you know what? It, I would... I wouldn't, I've never done an open mic because I just, I agree with you because I've been in them and you just see guys, nobody's paying attention. The guy's on stage, you need to feed off the energy. I would say uh, guest spots. Instead, you're not going to go to the improv and get a guest spot, but you can go to Johnny's Pizza, who's got three guys up there that he's paying 25 bucks to, and say, listen, uh, can I have five minutes? I'll give you five minutes for nothing. See what you think. 
And the more guest spots you do, because those guys are already there. It's not as easy to get those as you think. Or fundraisers. I'll give you a fundraiser is what I do now, and I've gotten better in the last. They're amazing. I run run the fundraiser. Somebody comes up to me and says, "Hey, Jimmy, I got the. I'm doing a thing for the little league in South Plainfield. I bring in a killer headliner, a guy like Marino, Joe Matteris, all these, all my buddies, and I know. Okay, I got Mariano Rivera to close. Then I bring in a kid, give him a hundred bucks to do seven to ten, and I get the middle. But in the middle, for me, was good because I had I can do fifteen minutes if I want. If I'm on a roll, yeah, I can do twenty five because Marino's not going to care. And I also put decent money in his pocket because mm-hmm. it's a fundraiser. And I told him my bill for the comics is going to be higher, but I'm going to guarantee you a good show because I knew I had a guy like Marino or Joe Matteris, these yeah. other guys that I knew can play. So. I, I swear to God, we must have done like 20 of these, and everybody walks out, my God, that was like the greatest show. But then I realized that my my minutes have started to expand, and now- uh, you're, like, natu- you're a naturally funny guy. Being in a room with you, without the stage, you've got that personality. He's only allowed to come here and do one podcast every three months. He's way too complimentary yeah, of so, you. I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Right? I, so, just, it, this is now- Having him in the room this, Thursday night. Is this is now guy. the Palumbo Travelee show. Yeah. When I the, say uh, Jimmy Palumbo's <laughs> going to be there, and then also, Jimmy Palumbo walked about, in- well, but I've your, never- I've never headlined though. I've never done a full forty-five minutes. And I was talking to Gene over at the at Scotty's over there in uh, uh, Springfield, and just before the pandemic, I was like, you know what? I want a headline. Give me like three or four months so I can sell out the show and promote the hell out of it. Because I think I can. If I add up all my material, I know I can be. I could physically stand there for forty-five. Now, do I need to hone that a little bit? Of course, but I think I can actually pull it off now. Now that I'm older, and there's also a little less. And don't take this the wrong way. I have a little bit more that I don't give a fuck anymore. That's a like, good thing. So if I bomb in Springfield, New Jersey, here's what I, I tell young comics this all the time. You drive to the comedy, if you're nervous, you drive to the comedy event and you're completely bombed. Guess what happens? You have a beer, you say hi to your friends and you drive home. And the next day you're alive. Nobody like, knows. You don't get, people think it's not like squid games where you get a bullet in the head. Afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Although believe me, but my only bad show was uh-huh. I did it when I started opening up for Artie in the beginning, his, his crowd was so rabid and they just would boo. I, they used I, to have it in Matt Reese. He told me, or he used to tell me about Joe that. got, I know tons of comedians that are way better than me. They got booed. You know what it was? They want like, Artie. They, they didn't Artie. give a shit. It was just like, they, they were there to cause ruckus until Artie came I, out so they could cause more ruckus. And, all, and that's what I, it exactly. was. I, I razzles, I bond, I did a, a Friday night show, and never forget this. My mother was actually holding the microcassette for me. We had 400 people in that razzle. Uh, what was that? Mad- no, somewhere around here. Rascals. Rascals. In Oceanport. Yeah. So it was packed. And we had to do uh, we had to do two shows. And first show I went up, and I'll never forget it. I went on stage, and my first joke usually gets a little bit of a laugh, and I did it. Nothing. Oh, that's the worst. And all of a sudden, you no, know, I felt like I felt like I was a pilot flying, uh-huh. and the engine light went on. You know, you know, engine four is out. Oh, we got three more to go. We're good. I did the second bit, Beep. second it, and I went, oh, okay, I can land a plane on two engines. Well, I did like the next two or three bits, and they all, like, audience wasn't, nobody was listening. You're like, or, no, 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 they weren't listening. I was bombing now, and, and I went. Gear didn't work. I realized <laughs> I'm over the Atlantic, uh-huh. and it's, I'm gonna crash. Angel so Robinson. we get done, and the owner of the place looked at me like I was a jerk off. I clearly looked like I was Artie's buddy, and I'm like, no, I've opened up for them in Columbus and St. Louis. I can. So my mother's there, and we actually, ha- I, I, I we got to get this on tape. I have it. She meets me in the back. I'm distraught. I never happened to me. I took a complete dirt nap. She's like, Jimmy, why do you do this? That crowd is so 
awful in there. <laughs> Did, uh, you, you, you've been acting for so long. Meanwhile, it's all on tape. You hear my mother? I go, Ma. So I had to do the second show. She's like, no, just get in your car and drive away. No one will say anything. <laughs> I said, Ma, no. I so I go and do it. And uh, this time, though, I bombed again. Just as bad, except when I got in the plane, I knew the engines didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> it was like I, I knew that we didn't have enough fuel to get across. So I get, I went home. The owner of the place, I'll never forget, he, was, he gave me such a nasty look. I just, I just got my car. I didn't even say goodbye to Artie. I just left. I slept all day, like till like four in the afternoon. My brother was calling me. Mommy's upset. What's wrong? You okay? I'm like, ah, Frank had a bad night last night. I really did. So my mother's made me a nice little dinner, right? And then she's like, well, what are you doing tonight? I go, I got three shows tonight to do. At the, it was one of those five five show weekends. She's like, "You're driving back there?" She looks at me. I swear to God, my mother looks at me and goes, "You're the bravest man I've ever met. Your father fought in Korea, not nearly as brave." I laughed. My ass so I drove down, but I did something on the way down there. I was able. Remember, you could plug the micro cassette thing into your car through the through the plug. There was a way to. Oh could, yeah, yeah, Tape yeah. could work through your uh, car speakers. radio uh, speakers. And I was, I was like, let me listen to it. So I listened. I'm thinking, oh my god, this is going to be so bad. It wasn't right? even bad. No, the reaction was bad. There was no laughter. But I was like, wait a minute. Okay, I said that joke right. And then the next one, I did that one as planned. I said, I thought I had screwed it up. What happened was, I now this is only the uh, audio. I was like, audio. I was like, wait a minute. I I actually did, and I heard some laughter through the thing. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I didn't do as nearly as bad as I thought. I actually landed the plane, but I went fast. But so nine stage, minutes went think so. Right. So I get there. I do the first show. Another nasty look from that fucking owner, right? I do the, now I go on stage thinking, now I'm like, okay, I'm going off the gangplank. And I did my set. I got, and I kicked ass for seven minutes. Then we do the next show. And I kick ass again. Now I'm like, okay, there you go, right? I'm doing the third show, that midnight show in the Artie Lang crowd. Artie said, Jimmy, you do five to seven minutes, doesn't matter. I'm at the five-minute mark. I already had two wins. The seven o'clock show was killer. The nine o'clock, the midnight show. I started to run into some turbulence, and I realized, <laughs> I said to myself, I can just say, good night, everybody. Jimmy Blum, and I walked off the stage. And everybody, I got like a nice clap and everything, the whole bit. And then I got backstage. And Artie's like, hey, good job, man, good job, man. Artie didn't even see what happened the night before. He was in the back room doing whatever. Who do I see? Jerk off owner. Now he's smiling. Ah. So he goes, come over here, kid. Come over here, kid. He sits me down. He goes, I said, had a rough night last night. I was like, yeah, well, you gave me a look. He goes, yeah, but that does nothing to do. I was aggravated about the staff. We had other issues going on. He takes out, he pays me cash. He's like, uh, you know, when I'm making money, the comics get money. He goes, let me tell you what happened to you last night. I've been doing this for 40 years, one of those guys. I'm looking at him, now. I'm like, oh, I gotta listen to this asshole. He goes, you didn't start out well, and then your body language and your vocal tone, you quit on your act, even though you were still doing it. You let the audience know that you sucked. And they- That's very good. They responded by, by, I heard they just tuned out. And he goes, and you did the same material. I watched you tonight. Same exact material. But this time, you got a few chuckles in the beginning. And then you got the mojo. And that, then, go ahead, go ahead. And so he was like, 
It goes, it happens to headliners here. They think, oh, I'm just doing a little lousy comedy club at Oceanport. And next thing you know, audience is like, no, we're here. Make us laugh. And I've seen headline, big headliners have bombed in my room. He goes, never give up on your material. And if you ever are bombing, he gave me this note. I'll never forget it. Acknowledge it. If you do a joke that bombs, look at him and go, well, that sucked. <laughs> and the audience will be like, oh, thank God he realized you know it what, sucked. What's funny is I actually saw him in comedy. I have not yet. I have yet to see you in. Well, you'll see me on November twenty seventh. Open for for Matter East. Yeah. right? So and it's. Uh, I learned that lesson, but it's. Uh, it's. Uh, I never was. Uh, I'm just. A, I'm an okay comedian. I'm getting better now. I don't know. I'm, I'm older now, but I'm. I'm getting better at it. But I don't know how good I'll ever be. You know? There's so much about comedy is likability. If the audience likes you, right, they will buy you, and whatever you tell them, you've got the personality that jokes are like an extra. You're not, you're, you have yeah, a but some nights I don't, I don't do it on stage. I get, I get hindered. I get, I get, uh, it's, it's, it's claustrophobic on stage. You know what I'm saying? I, what I don't always like I, I think what happens is a lot of times, even if it's funny, sometimes it's like if they could tell that you're not comfortable, there's a secondhand embarrassment thing. You know what secondhand embarrassment is? Where you get embarrassed yeah. for somebody else and you're like, oh, I can't exactly even watch right. this. Exactly right. And so they're not going to laugh in that moment. They're actually not mad at you. They're feeling bad for you. Right. It's not, I don't know if that's. There's also too right. the comic needs to the audience wants to know they want to like you, so they want something they want to know what it is they can do. You know, right. they're, not, they're not all judgmental, right? And sometimes they they're get looking to laugh because they don't know what you want. You know what I mean? Some some of these guys when they go out there and they're pissed off about everything, or they're like awkward, and you're like, well, what am I? You know, where, where what do you right. want me to do here? And like with you though, but they do they paid money they expect you to be funny. I used to, I worked at Great Adventure, and when I, when I announced my first diving show, uh, with the di I was a supervisor of the diving and dolphin shows, and you know, all these divers, and all, and the guy Is there said, any other obscure, weird job that you've I, done? By the way, by the way, that's, that's by far the funniest thing you've ever said in your life. So you, I went to that, the when a guy dives 100 feet? Yeah. You and gentlemen, the 100 foot dive. I was scared. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Travelese, I don't care what you do the rest of your life, that's the best thing you've ever done. I swam with dolphins. There's no doubt, all my listeners right now are driving off the road. No way. But dude, I got Awesome. The guy said to me, uh, you know, because I was so nervous. I'm like, I don't know, 18, and I'm going to do this, and everybody's so focused on this. He says, they want to like you. You know, they, they expect, when the plumber comes to fix the sink, they don't audition the plumber. They expect he knows how to fix the sink. Right, right, they right. believe you know what you're doing. So go up there and do it. Right. There's a, that's, that's a true thing. There's no yeah. doubt about it. And they want to laugh. They do. Every now and then you get, like, sometimes a New York City crowd, it, get, it can be a little... But I find in the, the gigs in the suburbs and the regular gigs, especially out of New York and L.A. Oh yeah, um, they they uh, they just they they're out with their wife, they're having a couple. Like the ones I do, we just did one in a big backyard. Marino had a fun, lot of fun with it, yeah. and uh, they're out with their wife. They're, they're it's they're paying a hundred dollars a piece because it's for their daughter's softball team. They're having a couple glasses of wine on Friday night. The babysitters there till midnight. They just want to go That's out with exactly their wife or girlfriend right. and bust balls, have a few laughs, and go home and maybe go to the local bar after the show and make it a full night out. That's all they want to do. They're not looking to... No one's judging. Well, that comedian wasn't that good. Well, they just want to go bust balls and have a good time. They're you you got to remember yeah. that as a comedian. Yeah. And remember that as a person, you know, because you're there to be friends with them. I just did a fundraiser on Saturday night. Uh, my, son's fresh, my son's high school football team. 
So it was all parents who, like you said, never get out of the house. They're all married couples. They're they're not, you know, looking to raise hell. They were out for a night. They want to laugh. They listen. They're very attentive. I had Don Jameson and I had Dina Blizzard. Okay. And Dina is a former Miss New Jersey and she's Uh the perfect, you know, she she does a national play that she wrote called One Funny Mother which plays all over the country. Wow. And she has another one, Don't Call Me Mom. And uh, you know, she got the housewife thing covered. And you got Don is Don. Right. And, you know, and, and it was a nice, there was a nice texture to it. But the, the crowd, and whenever you do a fundraiser, this happens. I do a lot of them. Because they're just so happy to be out. They're so friendly. And they're so grateful that you're there. That you can't bomb if you try right. I had one radio guy. They tell thank me. you afterwards because they they, in their mind they think, "Oh, this guy came here to help out our softball program." They leave it another was a transaction. That's happened. Thank you so much, Jimmy. Uh, you really made this a great night. You know, I'm so glad you're here. I'm thinking, you're like, yeah, out of that, out I'm of here. the two thousand dollars that you raised for your <laughs> softball team, it cost thirteen hundred <laughs> to get me here. So, <laughs> but that seven really worked. See, one thing too that somebody told me, and I'll give it to you: if you went up there and bombed. Because of who you are and because of your likability factor, the audience would think you were probably putting them on. They wouldn't right. buy. You know, know. They, they wouldn't buy it. You know what I mean? Like, if you're good, like, say, like, you get a really big name headliner, goes up there and just sucks. You're thinking, oh, what's going on? Something's, like, what, what's yeah, that? Yeah, Something's yeah. weird about this. Right. What's going on? Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe he's working on new material. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> the, that's another thing I left. That's a whole other, we don't even have time to go. Next time you come on, we'll do that. Okay. About how long, I have jokes that are, I, I've been doing I, since day one. But I, when I go back and listen to an old tape, I'm like, okay, the actual punchline's the same. But the whole setup, my body language, all, I've added, I've subtracted. It's, it's, so it's not really the same bit. You know what I mean? But it, it at the core it is. Yeah. But it's the same, you know, because... I don't do comedy in the same area 10 times a week, you know, so most of the people in the audience have only seen me, if, if never, or maybe a few times, but, you know, they don't remember, nobody remembers each oh, joke. I got a story for you. I get the job at Catch a Rising Star. Uh, at the time, it was, it was 2004, I'm doing radio along with WIP. I was at a classic rock station in, South, in Jersey called The Hawk, 105.7. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the guy would let me have guests on. So one week, I got Jackie Mason on. And Jackie Mason says, I have never repeated a joke. I would never repeat the joke. I wouldn't give you the same food. Why would I give you the same joke? I would never. And I'm thinking, I just got this job where I got to do 15 minutes a night, six nights, six shows. How the hell? I'm not going to (laughs) write 90 minutes of comedy every freaking week. I mean, what am I going to do? So I'm nervous as hell. I was a huge Richard Jenny fan. Oh, me too. Platypus Man, one of the best hours. Have you seen that one? Richard uh, Jenny comedy. Uh, mark that down. You got to watch that on Netflix. That should be that. homework. Poor guy ended up ending his life, but yeah. But well, <sighs> he was I so would good. go see him before I even get into comedy. I would, you know, I would go see Richard Jenny. Just loved them. I loved the specials, and I get to uh, have him on. So he's coming on the Hawk, and the first day I had him on a couple of times, and so the following week after Jackie Mason, I get Richard Jenny on. And by this time, I had had him on a couple of times. He kind of was comfortable. And I say, Richard, I just got a job where uh, Jackie Mason says he's never repeated a joke. You know, is this true? I just got this job. I'm going to kill you. He goes, first of all, it's total BS. You repeat jokes all the time. Secondly, he goes, of course you have to repeat a joke. He goes, I did five HBO specials. If I go out and don't do that material when people pay to see me, 
you, they're going to be pissed. He says, you wouldn't go see Led Zeppelin and not expect Stairway That's to true. Heaven. That's true. And he you says, can't do the exact same, but you have to... Yeah, but you got to... You got to bring in different... Uh, right. from. Whatever special you did. How many comics we know now have been doing the same material oh. for years? Yeah, and but that's what sells. No, qu and, no, and, no question. Right, and he said, but you know, he's but he's like set me straight with that. He goes, you know, your jokes are your songs, and people will come right. to see you expecting. Hey, the, the, he said at the time, you know, he's got a great bit about the Taliban. It's two thousand five, right. uh, so you know, but that's what they want. Right. And they opened him at the Strand in Lakewood. And I've never seen anything like it. Uh, this man, Hal Spears was his best friend. And he said to me, you know, you go into the supermarket, you come out with bread and milk. Richard Jenny goes in the supermarket, he was out with 15 minutes of material. Yeah. Because he was just that funny. Uh, he was and great. He would, like, like an I felt very tale. bad when he, because I, I used to see him at auditions in LA. And the last time I saw him, never saw him live, only from the TV. And I saw him in an audition. I, went, I said, oh my God, it's Richard Jenny. I went up to him. He didn't look good to me. I said, oh, he looks older, and he looks sad, but I thought he was just busy or whatever. I went up to him, I said, hey, man, I should let you know, I, I, I watched two or three of your specials, and I really, um, and I probably had, I had more on my acting resume than he did at the time. I was like, dude, I really dig your shit, man. I really, it's really awesome. And he just gave me this, like, yeah, thank you. But it was like, I remember walking away like, oh, he didn't seem too enthusiastic that I was, because no one else knew who he was in the room. And then, like, I was like a month or two later, I was like devastated by that. It was 07. I had, okay, I'll get another funny story. Um, I, when, when, we, when we did that, it was in Lakewood. And like I said, I got the feeling I could have hung with him. Uh, but then, like, uh, he, he got taken, a couple of girls were there. And then when I came back, he's in the room with the promoter and the checkers. I, I got to get out of here. I shouldn't be here. So I left and it was like, it just felt kind of awkward. Right. But, uh, but he was very open. Uh, you know, he gave me some critique on the act, which I asked him to. And, uh, yeah, but he was really like, he was really cool about it. He was really, cause I wasn't expecting him to be so forthcoming, so friendly. You know right, what I mean? Right. Uh, so on, I did it on a Saturday night on Friday night. Um, Kevin Meany was opening okay. for Richard in the, at the Keswick theater. So now, uh, six months go by, six months after Richard dies, Kevin Meany and I are both booked to do a thing in Union at a bar or something, right? So we're doing comedy night. And they said, you know, Kevin, I went, I saw you on a Friday night through the Keswick and then I did it on Saturday night. He opened for Richard at the Strand. And I said, how about we both open for Richard Jenny? And then he goes like, yeah. And then he killed himself. What does that say about us? <laughs> I'm not telling a story right, yeah. but, but it was no, kind of, but I I get get yeah, then he killed himself. What does that say about us? <laughs> oh my God. But Jenny, I, Kevin ended the night doing this Frank Sinatra coffee song bit, which was hysterical. And Jenny walks out. I was all set to do this Sinatra coffee song bit to start up and that bastard cook took it from me. <laughs> but I'll tell you two bits. If Richard Jenny homework, Jaws 4. You've got to see Richard Jenny do Jaws 4 and love songs. Radio yeah, love songs. Yeah, yeah, Those two will hurt you. He had a, he just was great. And it's, uh, of course, we're ending on a sad note. Someone who kills himself. Are we but, ending? Uh, but uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, I would have um, given up a happy song. You know, <laughs> we'll end on a, no, listen, well, I will tell everybody, don't forget, um, uh, we are doing a show together. Yes. So we are, officially, I could say I worked with them. Um, it'll be uh, uh, me, Steve Travelese, Mike Marino, and Jackie. Jackie K. Jackie, right. Jack, Jackie Jack K. K or something like that. Jack yeah. K. Um, performing at the Carteret 
downtown performing arts center. This place is gorgeous. I'm telling you, people, uh, it's in Carteret, but this place holds a lot of people. It's in Carteret, but no, no, no. It's just, right. Carteret is going through a big revitalization. This is all part of it. To get tickets, it's eight seven seven eight four nine two seven two two. Go online at catcharisingstar.com. Uh-huh. Look for Mike Marino. My name should be on the poster. God forbid. Um, in lights and uh, in lights. No, it should be there. November twenty seventh, seven thirty. Please go get your tickets, Steve. I can't thank you for enough. You're bit, I know you got to go on in the thank air tonight, you. and uh, you can come here anytime. And I'm going to come down here. I'd have to come anytime on, you want. Bring him down. Bring Steve, uh, Chris down to see the studios. We'll, we'll make um, him wait outside. And yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, won't let, we won't let him in. Um, but I appreciate you coming on, man. You're a pleasure to work with. And uh, everybody, I'll see you next week. That is, you know, we didn't do. We didn't. Do. I know it's fine. We got. That's evergreen anyway. We're good on that. I, yeah, that it gives us another week to watch. I, you the know what? Finale. I won't do the whole ad, but I do got to give a shout out to Absolute Eyewear. Oh, okay. My sponsor for you, life. I thought you were talking about the, the show that we were going to talk about, which we'll now talk about. No, next we'll week. do that next week. Yeah. But I got to give a shout out to my sponsor, Absolute Eyewear. I'm sure we can drop a, oh, it's, a it's produced in there. ad. It's in there. You had already but heard I the commercial say, at this point. I, I will say, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Now forgetting to do Absolute <laughs> Eyewear. Jimmy Palumbo. Go to Absolute Eyewear where they have Jimmy Choo and Costa Del Mar and other shitty, no, other great songs. Anyway, <laughs> I had to at least, I always do Bob Shepard Bob when Shepard. I do it, but I didn't do it this week because we had Steve on and we were chatting about all kinds of fun things. So, uh, Johnny, don't worry, you'll have your produce spot in here. And uh, <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later on. Show number 37 will be next week, and I'm sure we're going to have a where have you come from? Where have you gone?